tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, 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 we go deep, homeboy. There we go. Joining me, he's barely legal, legally illegal. I love that. Is this your new shirt, dude? It might be, but I like the shirt. I like it, bud. Joining me, as always, Xavier Guerrero. Xavier, tell us about your new podcast. Uh, it's called We Don't Smoke the Same. It's me, E-Zone, the voodoo dude, and uh, some guy named uh, Cairo. And we just fucking sit there, smoke at the Cypress Hill studio. They supply the weed, so it gets a little weird. Okay, that's great. Uh, so uh, you can find that link again in the description. And joining me as always is my good friend, Johnny Woodard. Johnny, how are you? Good, man. Good. Just living living that L.A. life, you know. You like Lock, in L.A., locked, Johnny? Do you like down, L.A.? Locked down in my house, that L.A. life, you know. Where you now, is this your house or your lady's house? Uh, I'm at my girlfriend's right now, yeah. Nice, nice. Because my, my apartment has a leak in the bathroom and it's flooded, so. Johnny, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry about that. Johnny, you remember when I had to take a dump and you wouldn't answer the door? You remember that? that Dude so comes rude you. not just screaming, bashing on the front <laughs> gate. Johnny, let me in. I got to take a shit. <laughs> Guys, uh, if you want to see me live, I am going to be live. At Hilarities in Cleveland, October 23rd. Tickets are moving, dude. I'm so excited, man. Tickets are moving. Go to, uh, go to, uh, it's, you'll see the description down there. I think it's pig and something, pick and whistle. I don't know, but I will be at Hilarities October 23rd, the 9.30 show. That's Friday at 9.30. Come and hang out. I'll be bringing some tickets with me. I have a couple friends jumping up. And I'm just excited to be back in Cleveland. I love Cleveland. And then Philadelphia, daddy's coming. I will be live at Helium's in Philadelphia, November 12th through the 14th. So come and hang out guys real quick i want to tell you about uh, our t-shirts that we got man we got a, a new one people are going to be excited about this we I, we're not going to start doing limited edition shirts where i'll probably sell either thrift 30 to 50 that's it it's gone and the new one's going to be space jar everybody you guys know that we had a gentleman come on talking about space and uh you, you know whenever uh xavier guerrero talks everybody stops because you know some shit's about to be dropped. And he asked, could you put space in a jar? And the guy didn't know how to answer it. But I loved it. And it inspired me to make one of the greatest shirts of our all-time Space Jar shirts, everybody. That's right, Space Jar shirts. Go to uh, tinfoilhattshirts.com. Look at it. Yeah. Oh, we got that going up, too. Look at that. Is that going to be available on there, too? It's already available on. Oh shit! Yep. Grab your grab your uh, political shirts again. These are limited edition shirts. Go to tinfoilhattshirts.com and grab your shirts. And then if you want mugs and hats and all that stuff, it's available at tinfoilhat 
swag.com. I promise you I'll get this all under one website real quick. Guys, we have a great show for you. I hope you guys enjoy it. And, uh, man, this was one of our best conversations we've ever had. Enjoy the show. All right, let's get into this, man. He's got a very popular podcast, Skeptico. Uh, please welcome, please welcome Eric Sarkarius. Did I get it right? No. No, we rehearsed. Uh, we rehearsed the damn thing. Sarkarius. What no. Johnny? <laughs> Sarkarius. No, you're making it. Sarkarius. Sarkarius. God, man, you said who the show and can't say names, dude? Oh, man, <laughs> I am a garbage man. No, like my no, life isn't going chaotic now. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm really honored to have you, dude. If you can tell us a little bit about your podcast so the swarm can find you. Sure. Uh, like we were just chatting about, I mean, it is, it's really cool to be here. I can't believe what you guys have done in the time that you've done it and I'm listening to these shows and I'm taking notes like crazy. And I go, how come I've been at this twice as long as these, as these guys and I'm the one taking notes on all their stuff. So <laughs> been doing this podcasting thing. For, you, <laughs> no, for real. Johnny, Johnny let them say nice things. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. And we're going to talk about it today. Cause God, when, when you, you asked me what I wanted to talk about, I said, what you guys did, with the Crowley episode with uh, Mark Steves. That was his name, right? Yeah, Mark yeah. Steves. How can you Mark- can nail names and I can't nail any names? Well, I, I, that was a pretty easy one. Yeah. <laughs> but Mark is a good dude. I don't have nothing against Mark, but I, I just thought where you guys went, I felt like I've been in so many of those conversations with Crowley apologists. And not to put anybody down, but I feel like it's – to me, it's almost become like a litmus test. Like you throw out the name Aleister Crowley and you see which way they go and you immediately know so many things about them. So anyway, I've been doing this Skeptico podcast thing. I really started with kind of a business guy. You know, that was always my thing. I made some money, sold my company. I was like, I want to find out the deepest questions, spiritual questions you can ask. You know, and I shot you an email that, you know, Sam, I thought it was really cool with your uh, with your Zero podcast, which I I really I immediately signed on to that because you're a guy who goes, "Hey man, I started out with conspiracies and it led me to spirituality." I was like, "Oh, that is so awesome!" Because I feel like exactly the opposite. I started out with just like science. And I knew spirituality was behind that. And I knew there was some game being played. I knew they were gaming me with this stupid science that I'm meaningless in a meaningless universe, but I didn't quite know what it is. And that led me to conspiracy. So it's kind of funny. That's where that's kind of where it's been. So I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I super love it. Enjoy it. Please unsubscribe. I don't care. <laughs> I just love doing this. I love connecting with people and I'm super excited genuinely because I think you guys have just collected so many interesting ideas and you're so brave to go against people like on the Crowley thing. That's brave, especially there in Hollywood because this wink and nod acceptance of Whatever that is, you know, we can get into it. Well, you told me you've been getting a lot of feedback on the show. What have people been yeah, telling you? Know, you? Mark is a good friend of mine. He helps me book a bunch of my shows. And he, we initially, the show, and we've, you know, we had a follow-up on the Patreon. And it was like, 
He's like, I want to expose him for what he really is. I, I think where a lot of people, and maybe I mistook um, Mark's point of view, is that like if it, technically there's no proof of it, but walks like a duck, talks like a duck, probably molests a duck. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> no, no, it's kind of uh, my my opinion. And we had a, we had a discussion like that, so I want to make sure that, and, and not that you're doing that, Alex, but people understand that like the purpose of Mark coming on there was to, in fact kind of out him for what he is. I really appreciate what you're saying because we are in Hollywood and we are pushing back against what is being said from the point of view of love. I love what you said about science because, you know, from a guy who, you know, flunked first grade was held back because they felt he wasn't mature enough and really like just struggled in this kind of system, this, you know, Rockefeller school system, like my, my entire fourth grade, I, I was in detention. Like I didn't get to go out for lunch and play. I had to sit in the hall and I was, I was deemed a troublemaker and which was weird because my parents were both uh, teachers. So I really had a thing for like, I love teachers. I just, I guess I rubbed them the wrong way. So when you talk about science and discovering science, when I, when I sit there and I go, I think the laws of physics were created to box us into a certain reality and that anything outside those, those laws of physics and which I find is the good shit uh, gets dismissed. So man, I really love what you're saying. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, skeptical for me, man, it's like, I am, um, I am a spiritual skepticist. You know, I, I, a lot of people hate the word conspiracy theorists. I was just talking to Whitney Webb on Twitter and she's like, I'm going to get called a crazy conspiracy kook. And I'm like, lean into it, girl. <laughs> exactly. You know, just, right. Be you, man. And that's kind of where I'm at with this. It's, you know, so I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate the kind words. I, you know, the show is just like a runaway train and I just try to keep it on the tracks and I'm lucky that XG <laughs> and Johnny are a part of it, but it is literally like, okay, man, podcast, God, get us through this one. Let's hope and pray. <laughs> and usually the, you know, the train makes it to the train station. Sometimes it doesn't, but I appreciate it, man. Cause I like having the dangerous conversations. Because I think those are the important conversations. Well, you, you know, let me let me do a, a kind of a sideways connection to what you just said. Um, so, for the last year or so, I've really been into exploring this thing, evil. You know, and I wrote a book, "Why Evil Matters," and the premise of the book is that if you don't understand the game that science is playing by telling you that you don't really have a you, that you're a biological robot in a meaningless universe, that consciousness is an illusion. This is science. Like you got those two little kids and a few years from now, you're going to take them by the hand and you're going to walk them up there into kindergarten. You're going to say, you go guys. And they're going to teach them that they're really not anything in there, that they don't have free will, that that they're just a product of this meat thing in their head. And that's just what's happening. And that is my point is that that is an absurd idea. Philosophically, if you break that down, all the great philosophers would say, well, that's just doesn't make any sense. But it's also experimentally in science, like you said, physics, you go back to the most famous scientific experiment, the double split, the double slit experiment implies the observer effect, implies that consciousness 
is not only real, but is in somehow way fundamental. But push all that stuff aside for a minute, because what I think is interesting is how we've been conned into not seeing how obviously stupid that is to say that you're nothing, that, that you probably don't really exist, that voice inside your head, and the voice that is listening to the voice inside your head, that that's all some kind of illusion. How did they pull off that trick? And that's where I think is the stepping stone to Aleister Crowley in a way, because the flip side of that is that, so science is pushing you into this thing saying, oh, you're, you're really nothing. Just get over it. You're just this brain that's generating all this random shit. And then you got this other side that says, no, man, there's more to it. And then you got the religions who said, well, yeah, there's more to it. We'll tell you exactly what it is and how to re- interact with it, right? We'll, we'll jump right in the middle of that thing. Yeah, and we'll yeah, say, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So whether it's your Armenian Eastern Orthodox churches, whether it's my Greek Orthodox churches, whether it's those freaking Catholics or the Mormons <laughs> or the Jews, no matter who it is, they're all doing the same thing. They're all jumping in the middle and saying, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, you can talk to them through me, pal. Yes. I'll tell you how to do it. So where are we left? We're left in the middle. So when somebody like Crowley comes along, a lot of people are fascinated. They're like, whoa, there's another way? And that doesn't matter if it's just as stupid as the other two ways, like you're saying. It's like, do what thou wilt. Wow, that's so different than what those religious people are telling me. It's so different than what those scientists are telling me that tell me I'm nothing. I I, I got to at least look at it. At least it's a new voice in the freaking, you know, in the discussion. I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's just so interesting. How many of our great philosophers, our great spiritual leaders are like trust fund kids and they have just access to uh, the best schools and then their classmates get in positions of power. And for some reason, these people are just allowed to get their message across so much quicker. It's just unbelievable how the rich try to convince the poor how, how, how useless they are. Hey, don't I mean, put I, down the rich. I'm rich. I take, I take objection but, but, but to a lot I understand of that, that. I understand that. And like, dude, where I'm from, I'm somewhat rich. And trust me, I'm not that rich. But it's, it's you know, it's a, I guess we rate, we uh, graded on a scale here. But the point is that we have these kids who have been isolated, grown up in these wonderful places, uh, really isolated from life, being put in positions to tell us what our life is about when they've never really actually experienced it. And it's See, but just, Sam, Sam, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's what Crowley's about. I think you hit on what Crowley's about. So hold on the rich, the rich trust fund kid. Totally, totally get that. And you, you nailed that. But the other thing that you nailed that I think is particularly not enough people emphasize this is who's his dad. His dad is in this cult, right? His dad is in this Christian cult. The Plymouth Brethren. It is a goofy cult. You can't give people birthday cards, birthday presents. You can't do it. It is an absurd cult. (laughs) And he's in it. So what he's doing, which you nailed in the show, is reactionary. What anyone would do. He's rebelling. But he takes this rebellion and then he turns it into what we see so many times with, you know, 
this Satanism thing and stuff like that. It's like they rebel and then they get drawn into a whole different game that they weren't even aware was kind of one step away. We can all identify with the rebellion shit because they had real stuff to rebel against, but it doesn't always lead to the right thing. No, I agree with that. And we see that a lot right now with going on in our country. It's a very interesting time, man, because, you know, the, the, the teams are getting blurred. Who's the good guys? Who's the bad guys? You know, and you realize they're all the same guys. And it's just and you got this group of people, you know, for a while there, you'd play a game called find the black person at the BLM march. And you couldn't find them anywhere because it was all like white, young, rich kids. And they were discovering who these kids were through these mug shots. Their dads were judges, very rich people. And it became this thing where these kids were like kind of just doing their own version of the purge, the movie, the purge. They're like, Oh, we get to commit these crimes and have fun. We're, we're going to leave our gated communities and go to these places to burn down middle-class properties and, and businesses that were people's dreams because I'm mad at my dad. This really was a fatherless attempt <laughs> at a revolution. Uh, real quick, I want to tell you about our good friends at HelloTushy.com. That's right. HelloTushy.com. Do you have a butthole? Johnny, do you have a butthole? Yeah. XG, do you butthole. have a butthole? Of course. Okay, then this is for you. That's right. It's hard to believe we go to the bathroom in this country and most of us wipe instead of wash. Isn't that unbelievable? It's the only thing you don't wash, dude. you got to wash it. For years, bidets have been available, but hideously expensive costing thousands of dollars. Well, HelloTushy.com, modern bidet attachment is here to democratize the blessings bestowed by bidets and other clean buttholes to ever and offer clean buttholes to everybody. Now, listen, dude, Joe Rogan has one of the best jokes about bidets, okay? And it's like, how long can you sit on this before it gets weird, right? That's why I think about my bidet, dude, when I'm on hellotushy.com's bidet, okay? It attached to your existing toilet, requires no electrical or additional plumbing, cuts toilet paper used by 80%, right? So go to hellotushy.com's bidets, pays for itself in a few months because Hello Tushy, you don't have to wipe it all. Even the best two-ply can't cut it when it comes to hands-free poop experience. Dude, by the way, this is my favorite read of all time. Buttholes and talking about poop. Thank you, HelloTushy.com. Thank you, dude. And every Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. Okay, join millions of Hello Tushy customers right now that have clean butts, with every flush, all right? So this is what I need you guys to do. Go to hellotushy.com slash tinfoil to get 10% off, guys. This is a special offer for our listeners. Go to hellotushy.com slash tinfoil for 10% off. Hellotushy.com tin slash tinfoil. You know, a lot of, um, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, atheists are very interesting. I find them... Very, very interesting. They tend to be, I feel, along the lines of people who have lived a certain life and they don't want to live, they don't want to believe in repercussions more than anything, more than we're just rock, monkeys with sneakers on, on a rock hurling through space. But it's more about like, is there going to be some kind of, you know, punishment for the the way I've lived now? Well, but, but that, that punishment thing 
is really, really tricky because that's right. the do what thou wilt Crowley thing, right? But the the spin on that, I mean, like the other thing that, and, and I'm sorry if I'm just going to keep rapping on that show, but there were so many cool things about that show. Like one of the things that jumps out is who is now picking up, picking up the flag and carrying it for Crowley. And I think it's interesting because I don't think it's just rich kids. I mean, like you guys, have you guys done anything on the West Memphis three satanic no, panic? No, no, we no, should though. We should. It. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, Damien Eccles is a, is a great, a great podcast guest. We you know, he was on. one of the characters oh, in uh, uh, Duncan Trust. Yeah, he was. That's oh, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, if you want to have on somebody who, who, if you want to have on somebody who raped and killed three kids in, uh, you know, Memphis, Arkansas, please get Damian Eccles on your show right away yeah. and get Duncan Trussell to come on too and pat him on the back and Johnny Depp to pat him on the back. The facts about Damian Eccles is he's not only a convicted killer, he is a confessed killer. So he, his, Whoa, he got out of jail. He got out of jail on a deal where he pled guilty. So he pled guilty to get out of jail. The terms of that guilty plea was that he could go out and say, I'm not guilty. He can do that and not get sued. But he pled guilty. But here's the best part. And this takes about 30 minutes. Interesting, dude. I I swear I get more comments on Twitter, though. We should have Damien Eccles on than anything else. So this is going to be an education. Yeah, yeah. you you guys would tear him up because you guys would do the research. Go do – so here's just – I had on a guy – here's another guy you you, you might want to have on. This is an attorney. His name is William Ramsey, and he wrote this book – uh, abomination about the West Memphis three. And if you go Google West Memphis three, the first three, four, five pages, satanic panic, satanic panic, satanic panic. Like these poor guys, you know, just wore some dark t-shirts and they got pulled in off the street. Just not true. I mean, the, the kid confessed to it. One, his mother, <laughs> his mother is all messed up and probably got him into all this stuff. But drinking blood, he was in a, a, a mental hospital. All his mental records are released as part of the court documents because they were, he liked drinking blood. He liked all these rituals. He was uh, arrested performing a satanic ritual and doing arson in a garage. But then here's the stuff that, that comes out. Like one of his co-conspirators in, not nah, I shouldn't say co-conspirators, one of the guys who was also convicted and then later released when he pleads guilty, not only confesses to the crime, and then if you watch those movies that, that those guys did on him, Johnny Depp and uh, what's Peter Jackson, you know, I don't know how these Hollywood guys you know, got, all, got, got behind this. I mean, maybe they knew, maybe they don't know. But here's the thing. They, the, the evidence is that like one of the guys so if you listen to Damien Eccles, he says, yeah, you know what they do and, you know, what the prosecutors do. And I'm not saying that, that the prosecution in this case was perfect. Again, I don't know. Go talk to William Ramsey. He's an attorney and he can answer this. But he, he wrote a whole book on it. and You can kind of read it and talk to him. But the point is, the confession wasn't just this 20-hour sweat that Damien likes to talk about. Yeah, they got this guy in there and he had an IQ of 60 and they gave him a 20 hour sweat in the investigation room and that was it. Nah, 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 nah. Later, after the conviction, the guy gets in the squad car 
And the guy leans back and goes, come on now. Tell me what happened. Tell me what really happened. God lays it all out. We met him. You know, we ran across these kids. They looked, you know, the age we were looking for. We did the thing. We did the deed. And it, he just lays out the whole thing. It's right there. 15 minutes. You'll find it in, uh, on, you Google it and go find the truth about the case. The other truth about the case that I thought was so interesting is because, hey, let's face it. The cops <laughs> in criminal prosecutions, they play dirty. And we all know that. One of the games they play, and you might have heard this or seen this, is they get a guy in and they go, oh, you know, and this is, uh, uh, again, West Memphis, Arkansas, right? Oh, come on, Damien. Now, Damien, we know you <laughs> didn't do it. But tell us, what kind of guy would have done something like this? And he starts going, this is in the record, right? This, this is in the record. And he goes, well, they were probably Satanists. And they probably saw these kids and saw them as weak and saw they could manipulate them. And then he starts revealing all this stuff that only people at the crime scene would know, right? Which is exactly what they're trying to get him to do. One of the things he says, he says, and, uh, you know, they probably put him in the water because somebody probably urinated in their mouth and they wanted the river to wash the urine out of their mouth. Who knows this? It's true. But who knows this? Who isn't at the scene of the crime? So I don't know if the legal system screwed this guy over, if, you know, there were DNA, this and that. But it doesn't sound to me like satanic panic. That's my point. It just doesn't, it just doesn't sound like a poor guy who was wearing the wrong T-shirt and got pulled in off the street. It doesn't You're sound fairly like certain they're guilty, though. I don't, I don't know if they're guilty or not. I just know that this evidence never seems this. Like you talk to William Ramsey and he's been at it for a while. Cause the case is pretty old and he's like kind of beaten down on it a little bit, but like for somebody like me or you guys, when you first run across it, you're like, how, how is this not the headline on this story? Why is the headline Johnny Depp? you know, rescues this guy from death row. Why isn't anyone asking, well, is there any chance that this guy is connected to the crime? Because I'm not, again, I can't say that he's, I can't say that he's guilty. I can tell you, because it's part of the record, that in order for him to get out of jail, he pleaded guilty. Now, you can say if you're on death row, you know, and you say you get out of jail, you plead guilty. Anyone would, I accept that. But I just never see this evidence which is again in the record, come t- into the discussion of, you know, Damien's and, and Damien's redeemed. He seems, I mean, I don't know Damien Eccles. I'm not jumping out of my seat to have a chance to talk to him because I just think it's all sounds to me like a lot of the same old bullshit, but I'm just not super impressed by people who've really dug into the you know, maybe I'm wrong. I'd love for someone to show me where, you know, I just kind of misread the <laughs> misread the police report that's right there in the record. I thought the thing that got them off was blood on a knife that matched the stepdad. Was that what that's what I was told was the reason they got out is because there was blood on the knife 
that they believe was a weapon right. that was actually right. the stepfathers that was kind of like pounding these guys down. Right. And this seems to be a common theme in these these uh, stories that get turned into docs or movies. And I, you know, I, I, full disclosure, I, I give monthly to the Innocent Project too. Absolutely, you know, I got nothing I give worse, a, nothing worse than someone wrongfully convicted. I, I've help. given two. I've given two to the guy who does the DNA thing. Uh, what's his yeah. name? The, the OJ guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, because so I this think kind of re- this kind of reminds me of making a murder. Because if you watch making well, they, a murder, yeah, that's this, what I was getting into. Yeah, yeah, they make you believe that he doesn't do it. But if you watch their their case about it, you're like, oh, those that fucking kid fucking did it with his <laughs> uncle. It just depends what you watch, and then that's you have interesting because a, a lot of people don't think they did it. And it, but I wonder if the point of those shows is to uh, undermine law enforcement. You know, there's also a part of that that is like, oh, cops are all crooked. And, you know, we could, I mean, we have Camille Harris right now running and they, they've been talking about how she like knew a guy's DNA got, he didn't match the killer and left him on death row for as long as she could because she didn't want to take an L on her record. It's it's very totally. interesting, dude. Totally. No, no, I'm I'm... I am down with that totally. And I just think, it, like like XG's saying there, so many of these cases, you just got to look at both sides, you know? So I'm not like, hey, if the guy it, it has, like, really good answers to all this stuff, that's awesome. But I think someone should press him on those particular issues rather than just, you know, this kind of, well, it's the same thing right now. Go, go to the left and go watch uh, that Rittenhouse, their story on it. And then go to the right and go watch their story on, on Rittenhouse. If you don't go watch the other one, you're going to believe whatever the fuck you read the first time. You got to. You got to. Was he protecting himself or did he kill someone? Oh, you mean the kid? Yeah, the kid, the Rittenhouse. It depends. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. That kid one of them, who's a, like, they're not going to press charges on it. On one of them, he's a fucking terrorist. On the other one, he's a hero that would clean up. Nonlinear uh, warfare, bro. Yeah, makes Nonlinear no warfare. That's what, man, when I saw that video that broke down nonlinear warfare, I'm like, oh, that is exactly it. And, you know, it's like, so you have the who the WHO saying one thing and then Fauci says the exact opposite. And now both sides have as the, the, the ammunition they need to go to war because they think they're right. And it's done so well. And it's just like, man, I, I, you know, when they, when they got rid of the Smith Muncy act, that was the beginning of the end. That's when they're like, okay, we can't control the information, so we're going to flood you with information so you don't know if you're coming or going. And that's exactly what they've been doing since that that bill got passed. It started early, uh, late Obama, and then bam, with Trump. And both sides do it. Both sides hit it. And it's just unbelievable now. And it's just like, like when you watch that last debate, there's nobody who watched that debate that goes, okay, the other side won that for sure. No, man, you hunker down and you're like, my side won. And then you find whatever ridiculous reason. Oh, you know, he wasn't, he was, he was cutting him off all the time. He's afraid to debate him. I'm like, oh, dude, you are in la la crazy land, dog. You know, it is. Don't you think we're getting fed some of this stuff? I mean, 
like like my big point about the Eccles thing is why is it so one-sided? Why, when you, you Google that thing, is it all satanic panic? I mean, forget the case to the level that I was talking about it and just you get into it 15 minutes. You're like, well, this certainly isn't, this certainly isn't a good case for satanic panic. I mean, there is a lot of satanic shit here. So, and there's kids that are dead. I mean, satanic panic is like, this guy's minding his own business. Everyone's like, you worship Satan. Like I've said that before. Like I remember in high school, man, these three goth chicks that were all overweight just showed up to school one day in all black and the, and the whole school lost their mind. And I, you know, if you're asking me, man, what satanic panic is, is this is, that was done purposefully. So when truth started coming out about what's going on around the world, a lot of people just go, come on, dude, satanic panic. I mean, like Joe Rogan talks about that one school. McMartin. Was, McMartin. Um, and he calls it satanic panic. But, and I love Joe Rogan with all my heart, but it's like, Joe, they found underground tunnels. Going oh, from oh, oh, that oh, place. The, the, story, mean, the story on McMartin is, is fantastically uh, supportive of what we're talking about. And there's this guy, this professor from Brown University. His name is uh, Ross Cheat, Dr. Ross Cheat. And he wrote a book detailing this shit. Brown University, right? He's not slacking. So the story, how, how McMartin gets started is little Maddie Johnson comes home from McMartin Preschool, and he's three years old, and he can't verbalize it, but he goes to mommy, mommy, my butt, and he's bleeding out of his butt. And she's like, freaks out. Oh, yeah. You know? she, so what does she do, though? Because this is so distorted. But you go read this guy's book. Again, Brown University, he's no slacker. She takes him to the pediatrician. The pediatrician goes... I've seen this before, and then this is indicating, you know, sexual abuse. Let's take him to UCLA Medical Emergency Room. Boom, UCLA Medical, right away. They come in, and the doctor's names are in the book here. The doctors are on record. These are not like, doctor says, hey, yeah, this looks like sexual abuse to me. Let's get another guy in here. Yep, this looks like three doctors now all saying the same thing. And then they get the police involved. So the police go, we got to go check out this McMartin preschool because we're pretty sure Mrs. Johnson didn't do this. So let's see. Now, have you ever heard that? about McMartin Preschool. You've heard about Satanic Panic. Have you ever heard about Maddie Johnson, three-year-old kid with physical evidence diagnosed by three different doctors as evidence of being sexually assaulted? Why don't you hear about that? Why do you just hear about Satanic Panic? And again, I'm not a Christian. So when we get into talking about what satanic panic means, it probably means something really different to me than it means to a lot of other people. But I'm a spiritual guy, and I'm trying to figure that out. But Christianity doesn't fit the bill for me. But satanic panic is a total freaking head fake, in, in my opinion. Total head fake along the lines. And I would bring it back. Just one more thing. I'll stop my rant. No, keep going, dude. Everyone's like, why do we have science? Why do we have science? You mentioned Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan is a gift for, for all of us in that he's exposed so many things and talked about so many things, but he's so freaking messed up on his understanding of science, his understanding of consciousness and spirituality. It's just distorted, but that's okay. We're all distorted. 
But the point is, science is, is telling us one thing. You're nothing. You're a biological robot. Satanic panic is stupid because anything spiritual is stupid. That's what science tells you. And then satanic panic by the wink and nod, Johnny Depp, Hollywood, you know, oh, it's cool to do this and that is saying, yeah, it's cool. And, you know, but it's, it's kind of on the edge. And it's like these two things do not fit together, and they're both being jammed down our throat at the same time, along with religion. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about good friends at Manscaped, right? Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming, right? This is an Armenian, man. Armenia is going through some stuff right now. And for my people, I am just going to just manscape in Armenia into my chest. That's how much I love it, dude. They have forever changed grooming games with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 comes with the essential lawnmower 3.0, waterproofed, cordless body trimmer, and a ton, that, and a ton of liquid formations to round out your manscaping routine. The best trimmer on the market for thousands of those who need chest shaving and ball trimming, dude. The third generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents dude before manscape i had to use a machete dude that's how bad it got and i was whacking weeds down there not anymore our good friends at manscape have saved me from the bondage of hard tools okay thank you do you either you guys use manscape the answer absolutely oh yeah yeah, dude johnny i think i got your dad some manscape in action too right me uh everybody everybody i know has manscape now thanks to you we just love that manscape dude inside the perfect package you also find a manscape crop preserver and anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your birthday suit all day i love naked time anybody else i feel a lot better and you know what dude Every time I trim, it's amazing. I got another inch down there. How great is that? It's bigger. How great is that? So I go from six inches to still six inches, but it looks a lot better. It looks angry, like a shank, like I'm going to shank somebody with it, okay? (laughs) Now, guys, guys, for a limited time, subscribers – Subscribers get two free guests gifts, okay? The Shed Package, valued at $39, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped box of briefs. So here's what's going to happen. Get 20% up free shipping with the code TINFOILHAT at manscaped.com, okay? Get 20% off free shipping with the promo code TINFOILHAT at manscaped.com. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code TINFOILHAT and trim your testes with the besties, okay? Well, religion and science are very similar, dude very similar about how they're presented to us uh, and how it's like these guys are basically unquestionable. You cannot question these people. I mean, religion forever was like this guy has a direct line to God. He has God's number in his phone. (laughs) Don't question him. And then you go to science, like trust science. That's all we're hearing right now. I go, why? Like, dude, you know, over the last year, I've had to go to, you know, doctors and I just listen to these doctors and then you ask them a question and they don't have the answer. And it's just basically they can't regurgitate talking points. 
That, I mean, it's like, do you have, do they have a talking point to throw up on you? And I like, and I'm not going, like, not all doctors are bad people. There's a lot more wonderful doctors than not. But the, the notion of not questioning somebody because of X number of schooling makes no sense to me. I question everybody. Question me, dude. And you go to the comment section. That's all they're doing is questioning me. I'm just taking a beating left and right. But the satanic panic thing is very interesting, dude. It's just very interesting because, you know, you know, when we look at politics, right, how often do we see politicians who have been blackmailed, corrupted, and put in power positions to be controlled? Why wouldn't religion be the same thing? You know, my belief, the Jesuits have a very far reach and, you know, the black nobility, Rothschild, whatever you want to call this group of people have forever been buying, buying politicians and, and, and blackmailing politicians to put them in a place so that they can control the thing. And if they don't play ball, then they, you know, they put out the information so everybody um, can laugh and, and, you know, and, and basically make these people look like crazy people, right? Or corrupt negative people. And um, religion, I think, has done that too. I think they position people in certain places to control them. And then w- over time, when they want to basically uh, destroy the credibility of, of religion, they then out one of these guys as being, you know, oh, look at this guy. He's a diddler, knowing the whole time he was a diddler. And that's why he's there, because he's a diddler. And that is the slow, slow chipping away at the credibility of of spirituality. And he, religion is just, you know, a fake construct of spirituality. You know, the 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 Roman Catholic Church went around and started going around and just hitting pagans over the head, telling them to take this book literal. And it was never meant to be literal. It was meant to be here is some great stories to learn how to live your life. And you know, and how to how to basically uh, maneuver through this universe, this wonderful place we live. And they made it literal, and they beat up anybody who didn't take it literal. And that's kind of so, so we have this whole thing with satanic panic, and you have these absolutely crazy Christians on television. And I have no problems with Christianity, Judaism, Islam. I have no problems with any of them. The, the philosophy. I have no problems with all, all of them. <clears throat> well, well, just hear me out on that. The actual religions themselves are just thoughts. They're just thoughts. The application of these thoughts is where the problem comes in. And it's the people applying the thoughts and not the thoughts. Like government is really nothing. I mean, if you go to the, you go to City Hall, you're like, this City Hall, well, once they move out of City Hall and they move into a bigger building, is that still City Hall? No, City Hall is, a, is, a, is an abstract thought. It's just a thought and it's rules and it's a paradigm. You know, same thing with religion. There, religion is nothing but a, a, a thought, a, 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 you know, a paradigm of way of thinking. And so that's my whole point. But, but wait a minute. you got to connect that with what you just said, because I thought you said a, a, a really uh, I- important thing that, again, I mean, you figured this Johnny, out a lot. Johnny, do you fast. hear that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. You figured this out sooner than I did. But it's like if you want to control, if you want a really Machiavellian kind of control freak kind of guy, yeah, 
hell yeah, you want you want pedophiles, diddlers, the worst of the worst, right? You have total control. And for you to make the connection between, okay, so now that's all been exposed. We understand politically how that works. And then for you to go, oh, look over here. If you're running the same thing over here, right? Wouldn't you want the same thing? If it's really about control and that's the most powerful tool of control, wouldn't you want that? So, but here's the thing I'm calling you on, man. Then I don't think we can go back and play nice and say, oh, yeah, well, sure, they're using a lot of these cultish practices. And sure, they're doing institutionalized child abuse in order to blackmail. But they're really good folks. And there's just a few bad apples. No, probably not. You know, and again, it comes back to this disintermediation. Why do you need why do you think you need an intermediary? I love your show, Zero. I really do. You're not looking for anyone to, to jump in there and say, Sam, through me, buddy, through me. That's the only way you're going to know, you know what's no, really I, there. I agree with that. It's like, why do you need somebody to tell you how to do everything? I, I guess it comes back to the same reason why, you know, people who watch an hour of programming on television think they're informed. They, they want someone to tell them what it is. It's like political correctness completely relies on lazy thinking. These are the words that aren't good. These are the people, and this is how they act, and these people act like this. And that, so, every, you know, I do a joke in my act. It's called um, oppression math, right? So when a, a, a comic walks to the stage, the crowd, each individual starts doing oppression math. How much has this person's demographic been oppressed? And it's totally based on identity politics. And they go, oh, a black lesbian. There's nobody more oppressed than that. We're going to let her say every N-word she wants and talk about all the nasty sex she wants because she's been her, her demographic has been the most oppressed out of it. So we got to let her go because our white guilt makes us feel bad about what she's been through. Even though we have no clue where she's actually from, where she grew up, and any of that stuff. So people do that with the news. So why wouldn't we do that with religion? Why wouldn't we want to be like, dude, please tell us what to think about this. After every debate, they're like, here's what you saw. And they tell you what you saw. That's the same thing with religion. Because to go off on your own and to try to understand this insane universe we have, that this insanely beautiful universe, and just to believe that it just randomly happened after a giant fucking firework went off in the middle of nothing is just ridiculous, but it's easy for people to just digest somebody, you know, like Penn and Teller, like, you know, I'm in recovery. I always talk about the Penn and Teller episode on Showtime where they shit all over AA. And I'm just like, I just like, I know a little bit about Penn and Teller, you know, a little behind the scenes stuff. And I'm like, of course you're atheist, you know? Because you don't want to think there's anything. And, like, for me, when I say that there's a punishment, I don't mean a punishment. It's just like, well, you know, we're, we, were, we, are, we are mortal gods having a human experience. And we come down and we're supposed to learn what the universe is about. And it is about helping others. Helping others. Giving to others. And some people don't live that life. Some and when it comes up, to judgment, you know, the thing, uh, like, I told you how I kind of started with science, you know, and, that, and I did a hundred interviews with all these scientists and a lot of the uh, 
kind of fringe scientist, but not really. The real people who know, you know, the Rupert Sheldricks, Dean Radin, parapsychology kind of stuff. But then the next group of scientists I really talked to were the near-death experience scientist, yes, you know, the yes. guy who's the, the guy who's the surgeon, cardiac arrest, or the cardiologist in the Netherlands, Pin van Lommel. He's like super elite guy. But one day somebody wakes up and says, hey, doc, it's quite a joke you made when you had me on the table yesterday. And he goes, what do you mean? Your, I had stopped your heart. You weren't alive. And so he goes, oh, my God, something's going on here. So yeah. the, 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 the point is, those are the guys who went against science and said, you know, I don't care what you're saying over there. I know that's not true because I have people keep, keep, keep telling me they're seeing what's going on in, the, in their resuscitation from up in the corner of the room. There's no way they can know that. They were dead flatlined for three minutes. That can't happen. So anyways, I went and did a ton of interviews with all the leading near-death experience researchers in the world. Fantastic, great people. Again, because they're coming from this scientific medical thing, but they're going like, this is a mystery, man. We got to crack it. But the biggest, one of the biggest things I take away from that is that, yeah, it's about judgment. It's about the moral imperative, doing the right thing. But it's you judging you. You know, it's just you judging you. And we all know that's true. We all know we are the guide, you know. So what these near-death experience people tell you beyond the science, so you get to the science, you go, okay, there's really a mystery here. Consciousness does survive death. The best we can do it. What happens after you die? They go, well, I had to face what I did, but there wasn't anybody there to judge me and be harsh to me. As a matter of fact, they were all like super like, it's okay, it's okay. But it was so hard for me to face what I had done. And that's what really was the hardest thing for me to take. I'm like, Oh, game over. I get it. I get it completely. That's the ultimate judgment of me judging me. Like, what am I going to deal with? (laughs) I just think about that so much. Oh man. Could you share, could you share maybe in your interviews, uh, one of the, maybe the most memorable, uh, near death experience you've, you've had recounted to you. You know, there's there's really been here. Here's what. Um, let me answer that a different way, Johnny. Because there's a guy, one of my favorite guys that I interviewed is a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Long, and he's a radiation oncologist outside of New Orleans, Louisiana. And I love the guy to death because he was uh, studying to be a medical doctor, and he was in uh, in Iowa, I think, wherever it was, and he ran across these cases, like I'm saying. But he was like, oh, man, this is, this is really what I want to investigate. But I can't. You know, I got to do the medical. I got to get, get that degree. got to get paid, you know. But as soon as he did, he was able to uh, do that. And he made it his mission to start collecting these near-death experience accounts. And he now has the largest database. Anyone can go to this. It's the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. And I used to do this when I first got into it on a regular basis. I would like, I'm going to go read one of these every day because they're so (laughs) freaking inspirational. And you have people dying all different ways with and, and you know, Johnny, because the reason that I, 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 I'm really hesitant to say one is that I almost feel like it's one of those special things that if you go to that database, 
the one that you need, you will find. You know, and what that's, are, well, could you talk about some of the consistencies then uh, between between the experiences? Well, it, um, so yeah, they, so the, the, first of all, <laughs> there's a lot of differences. And when people try and kind of pinhole down or pigeonhole down the, the similarities, that's good because we need to know whether it's real, you know, and if it's real, there'd be a pattern that we could follow. But sometimes that washes away all the different varieties, like people who are atheists, what do they see? People who committed suicide, what do they see? People who are Catholic versus oh. Protestant versus Buddhist, what do they see? There's all this different stuff out there. Consistently what they see, what they experience Number one, love. I mean, it sounds trite, it sounds corny, it sounds whatever. It's complete. They'll just say it. They'll go, I'm going to say it and you won't get it. I'm going to say it and you won't get it because it's a love that I can't talk about. It's just so complete. It's so, there's nothing wrong anymore. It's just everything's perfect. And then what they talk about, what people, and this is so, so like, if you look for that, you'll find that that is the most consistently reported thing. But if you just read the headlines, sometimes what they say, they see a light and they feel they're moving through a tunnel and then they see relatives and they are put in a... All is true. All is true, but all is kind of different. But the thing is love, man. That's what they... I'm not saying that because I don't... I'm not great with that love thing. That's not what I went looking for. That's not how I'm wired. But man, that's what they say consistently is just totally transformative experience of love. Are there any darker trips? Yes. There are some. Yes. Okay. What do you and, think? And not you, just, what's your opinion on those? Do you have an opinion? Uh, number one, factually, you know, following the, the, the kind of science because the scientific method is damn good in some positions here and doing some things. One, vastly underreported. A lot more of these negative near-death experiences than kind of get reported. And uh, two, under-researched. It's not the kind of thing that you write a New York Times bestseller about is the distressing near-death experiences. A lot of people... It sounds like DMT. Like you can't explain it, but it happens. And when it happens to you, you can maybe relate with someone else. Is it kind of like that? It, it, it is. And there's a, a lot of people have, have kind of seen similarities between the, the DMT experience, you know. And um, there, there's also this question that a lot of people have asked all along is that, hey, is this a DMT discharge in the brain? Mm-hmm. Right. So is that the last gasp of a dying brain? It shoots a lot of DMT and this and that. Now that seems so flipping over to the science part of it. Like that's an interesting question, XG, and it's been addressed. It doesn't really fit the purely DMT model. So DMT in your system may be allowing you to access some extended consciousness realms that are similar to the near-death experience consciousness realms. And I don't know what either one of those are. I don't know, you know, if the near-death experience realm is equal to, less than, greater than. I'm not saying I know any of that stuff because I don't. But they seem to be different. And one of the reasons they seem to be different is the sequence of events, you know. So with DMT, it hits you and it hits you. 
a lot of times on these near-death experiences, oh, gee, I was stabbed in a domestic dispute. And the next thing I know, I'm up above the ambulance looking at my body as we go into, you know, go into the hospital. It's a lot more literal, right? I mean, it seems to be uh, grounded a little more than the DMT experience, right? And then it'll switch, Johnny. So then Uh it'll switch. So it's like this person says, yeah, I'm I'm above, I'm above my body. And then I'm seeing the lights and then boom, I see the, the flatline thing. And I'm now I'm shot up in this other dimension kind of thing. Okay. That isn't really even in, and then if you try and put that back in our time frame, you're like, oh shit. Now you're talking about, you know, 30 minutes to an hour and then this, and then they were dead. You know, it doesn't really, you, you wouldn't match that with uh, what people who've done DMT in laboratory and just experimentally kind of report. And sorry, uh, if we could just real quick come back to the negative experiences. Do you have <laughs> I, no? I well, I just want to. Johnny's afraid to die. I mean, okay, I, we're going to bring that up every time I talk about death. Fine, but who isn't? Who wants to die? I don't want to die. Nobody you, wants to die. I just think kind of you, you're, you're afraid, afraid of death. So, so Johnny, you know, here there, there's a guy out there that I I spoke with, and he he's become pretty famous. He's a really good guy. He's a little more on the Christian side of this thing, uh, which no. is, is awesome because, you know, that's how they read it. I can't really see how you can come through all this stuff and, and have a kind of Christian-only view of it because the data doesn't really line up that way, but I'm digressing. Howard Storm is his name. So he says, look, here's my story. He goes, I was just an asshole art teacher, atheist type. And I'm out there in, uh, I'm taking the kids on some stupid, you know, thing we have to do over in Italy so they can go around and look at art. And I was bitter and I was just a miserable person. And then I died. And when I died, it was the worst, worst of the worst that you can imagine. The smell, the stench, the hellish fire. Everything that you hear about, you go to that Sunday school thing. It's right there, this guy says. He goes, man, I can make it up. I can tell you something else. But that's what I experienced, and it was unbelievably horrific. And then I saw a tiny, tiniest little pinpoint of light. Just I, I don't even know how I saw it, but I saw it, and then I look back to it, and then slowly it got a little bit brighter a little bit brighter, and it drew me to it, and I was taken out, and I was given a different experience. So that's the story we all want to attach on to, right? That's the story we all want to grab onto and say, oh, okay, you're just teaching me a lesson. I have to see that, you know, I need to change, redemption, all that stuff. It's just a story, though. Like, you go to that. That's why I say, man, Johnny, you, you go... Go to uh, N-D-E-R-F and search for, because uh, you can search the whole thing, fear of death. Search for people that had a near-death experience with a fear of death. And I haven't done that search, but I'm, I guarantee you, you will find something interesting there. Whether you agree with it or you think they're full of crap or whatever, because it, it is so common. It's incredibly common. You know, it's, it's the base level thing. 
Oh my God, this is incredible. Dude, I know why you have a popular podcast. You're incredible to listen to. It's a lot of fun to hear you talk, Alex. You're uh you're good at very good at what you do. I I find it so interesting, man. Um, you know, where I am now when I started the show, you know, compared to when I started the show, it's just two totally different things. Even though there's chaos in my personal life, I um I couldn't be happier and you know, all this crazy shit going on in this world today, especially in this country with all these, with the election and these riots and all that stuff. And it's just like, I don't really ever see any of it, but I hear about it all the time and I'm being told it's really bad. Everything's the worst. These, everybody's dying. Chaos is coming. Bill Gates' vaccine's coming. IDs are coming. Everything's coming. But I don't see it. I don't, I don't see it in my day-to-day thing. The only thing I experience is occasionally a tiny Latina lady tells me to put my fucking mask on when I'm at <laughs> CVS. Outside of that, I really just kind of been living the same life, man. And, you know, I'll fly somewhere, do a show, and there's only 100 seats. But that just seems to be the results of, again, these people turning on the television, everybody being told this bad thing's coming, Blah blah, and it's just like there's the only the, it's like the this 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 horrible thing that we're living through seems to only really exist in our head. Now, does that mean that people haven't di- been dying? I mean, there people sadly I, die all the time. Man. I mean, like I I wish we we had come to a point scientifically where we've cured death. I don't think that day will ever come. And it will always be out there and there will always be. And I make jokes about Johnny, but I, yeah, Johnny, I don't think I want to die either. I, 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 you know, obviously I have two children, you know, but you know, they use that fear to stir us up and to control us all the time, all the time. It's all about control. And this thought that, Hey man, either you do what we tell you to do, or guess what? Death is coming. Oh, no, not death. Don't, no, no, no. I'll do whatever you want with the mask. I, I won't go six feet within blah, 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 man. And it's just hey, like- I would just interject one thing because you, you, you brought up a, a point that I think is super freaking relevant to what we're just talking about. And it's relevant to Johnny's question. One of the things that's really cool about what Dr. Jeffrey Long did, New York Times bestselling book. It's not like a hidden kind of thing, but it just doesn't get the play, you know, that... So he asked about the fear of death. And Johnny, it's one of the most clear-cut, transformational, statistically. uh, And this guy's a scientist in addition to being a medical doctor. So he knows how to do scientific uh, surveys. A lot of people think surveys are just, you know, bullshit. Hey, man, that's how they do medical science, right? uh, You took the drug. Did it make you feel better, make it feel worse? That's a survey. So he did a medical survey something like 96% or higher of people who've had a near-death experience no longer fear death. So that's the one thing clearly we can say. You have a near-death experience, you're not afraid to die. Changes that. Changes that. If you're, if you're afraid of it, it changes it. Not that you should go and do it, but, you know. No, no for sure, for sure. You know, uh, I, I do a show with a friend of mine named Brian Callen. It's uh, the Conspiracy Social Club. And I brought up like... Uh, you know, I don't want to die violently. I said, like, I don't want to drown. Drowning seems horrible. And he goes, no, I almost drowned. And it wasn't at that bad. He goes, 
what happens is it gets really warm. A warmth comes over you right before you think it's about to go out. And apparently they pulled him out and he survived. But it's very interesting on that, dude. And, you know, they use this this fear of death and they use the fear of sickness and, and the fear of being broke and all of this fear that happens, you know. And, it's, you know, real quick, I just want to say, like, L.A. is an interesting thing. Everyone comes to L.A. to live their, you know, to live their dreams. And like right when you're about to go broke, man, LA just gives you something at just this little piece. And sometimes I wonder if that's good because it keeps you here for a long time. <laughs> these little, little breadcrumbs, but that's the universe, man. Right. When you think everything's about to go under the universe gives you enough to keep going. And people, they always forget that it's doom and gloom. And right before the point of break, the universe gives you a gift. And you take that gift and you survive, but for some reason you forget about it. And then you start to slowly march back to craziness because you think it's going to engulf you again. And then you get a little peace, you know? Hey, but quick question. What's a near-death experience? Is it considered like a, a car crash or like almost dying, like a heartbeat? Because you said, John, if you experience, and isn't everybody's different? What would yeah. you yeah, so, you know, that's, a, that's an excellent question because when they first started researching that, that's the first thing they had to, <laughs> had to figure out. Okay, what are we going to call a near-death experience? You know, some guy says, oh, geez, man, semi-truck almost ran me off the road. That is, yeah, but what a, you know, what it collided with you, you would have died. Is that a near-death experience? And here's the thing that complicates it even more. Sometimes people in those experiences will have a lot of the same experiences that people do who are clinically dead. But to answer your question, most of the research that you would include in the category of near-death experience science was done medically in hospital because the first thing they did is they said, okay, we're going to have a lot of naysayers saying, you know, this yeah, and that. Yeah. we're going to study this in a hospital. And then they had to fool around in the hospital. They go, okay, best place, cardiac arrest ward. Because when your heart stops, we know the physiological changes that go through your body. We've studied them for years. We know the blood flow to the brain. We know that we can measure the brain after that happens. We've done it in animals for a long time, and we've done it in humans. So we can make a lot of assumptions about what happens after you have a cardiac arrest. Now, a lot of the skeptical kind of people, skeptics, will say, well, they're not really dead. And there may be some, you know, that's the common skeptic ploy is just, let's create something new. Okay, so we have all this established science about neurology, about how the brain works, the relationship between the heart and brain. But now we have all this data that conflicts it and they go, oh, oh, yeah, maybe there's something going on really deep inside your brain that, you know, even though it doesn't show up on an EEG and even though we've never found it before, Maybe we'll find it, and that'll explain, you know, all this stuff. Maybe, but that's not how you play the science game. The science game is you can't invent something new that may come in the future to explain what you want to believe now. That doesn't work that way. (laughs) Yes. 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 You know, yes. I mean, everything right now. I just wanted to finish this quick little point about how everything is – is about the boogeyman, dude. Like they create this boogeyman and everything is about something's going to come down, whether it's death, plague, 
crashing economy. I mean, like what happened to murder hornets? Where are the murder hornets? Where's the shortage of coins? Where's the, where's the running out of ammunition? You hear whispers here and there, but like an actual application. I mean, I went in and out. They're like, we're having a shortage of coins. Uh, so we're only taking credit card. I had the guy 20 bucks. He gives me coins and he pays him. It's like, it's and it's like it's done on purpose because whoever is doing this feeds off our negative energy dude it's just it's the weirdest thing man it's the weirdest thing and i, I got to so tell you from, i got to tell you this one more story uh, that that back to, can i tell you a story about the crowley thing yeah so uh one of the guys that uh, there's another guy you you, you might want to have on he's really he's really a character and he's really smart really really smart his name is jason horsley have you guys ever heard of him no, but I'll interview him. And, and he's really dug into the, the pedophile thing at a really deep level. But so Horsley used to be a Crowley follower, you know? He was like, he's English, you know? He like, man, you know, David Bowie, you know? I was just into the music and I was kind of felt like kind of Crowley. He had these really rich, rich family, but it was all fucked up, you know, so he was putting a lot of stuff and he just felt that, that thing, you know, that, that kids can feel. So he's into Crowley and he's doing all this. And at some point he realizes just how it's just destroying his life. And it's just taking him down all these really negative kind of things. So he overcomes that and he comes through that and he's a very intellectual guy. He's super smart and he's written all these books, but here's the point of this. This is like a deep dive. This is tinfoil hat classic stuff. So he puts this post out and he's saying, yeah, you know, I think Crowley is bad news. You know, kind of like you were saying. And he gets this guy. Have you ever heard of this guy, Peter Lavenda? No. Peter Lavenda is a very interesting character. Again, very intellectual, very well-respected, has written these these very influential books and comes across as a total uh, academic studying this stuff from afar. And again, what you were kind of uh, alluding to, to, to earlier, uh, Sam, with kind of the browbeating, uh, well, son, let me tell you, you know, I've investigated uh, science, you know, cause that, cause that's where your conversation with Mark, uh, Mark Steves, you know, he was a super nice guy, but he says, you know, Sam, you know, to be honest, that's kind of an intellectually naive approach you've <laughs> taken to Crowley because, yeah. you know, there's lazy. So, so, yeah, intellectually, intellectually lazy. Donnie, let so, him talk, please. <laughs> so, so on his website, Peter Lavenda, who is big, big, big guy. Now, although I got to just digress one second. You know, uh, the, the Blinken 182 Tom DeLonge UFO thing, right? Yeah. Yes. Peter Lavenda wrote the book with Tom DeLonge. And Peter Lavenda is like, oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it when Tom called me up and said, oh, we got to get to the bottom of this. He's in that from ground zero, Peter Lavenda is. The top guy in that thing. And then now he's since then, he's kind of backed down and goes, well, you know, I was just just helping out Tom DeLonge. But back to this story, he gets on Jason's, (laughs) on, on his thing and starts browbeating Jason, goes, oh, you know. No serious academic would say what you're saying about Crowley. And then what he says is what I always hear Crowley people say. Oh, you don't understand. You know, do what thou wilt. Oh, well, that's what he said, but you don't really understand what that means. So 
Jason, again, is no intellectual slouch, and he starts nailing him with boom, and what about this, and what about this, and a lot of the stuff that you did. And Lavenda is not backing down. But what I thought was particularly interesting, because in my mind, Jason comes out 100% on top. Crowley's a creep. There's no way around it. Crowley's having sex with kids right there. Crowley's abusing people. There's no way around that. Crowley is diddling kids. There's no way around that. So this, again, though, what I think is an interesting side note is, again, that kind of intellectual, academic, I'm from academia. Let me, let me tell yep. you, you know, how intellectually naive and stupid you are with your beliefs, you know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, like, if you take a look at, like, comedy, it, you've seen that happen in the comedy. I know you want to talk a little comedy. Uh, I, I just want to make one quick point point after this uh, thing but Hollywood man something happened to Hollywood where you know the private school kids came in and listen if you went to private school and you listen to this I'm not saying you're 100% anything I have zero problems with you everybody's judged on an individual basis but what we started to see was like they started taking care of each other. They just had a different handshake. They they just knew how to talk to each other. And you just start seeing this implementing of these people to the point where you couldn't tell the difference between the entertainer or the suit, the, the you know, the industry. They looked exactly like they were just all circle jerking each other about how great they were. And if you didn't fit into that, all of a sudden you were out. So it's kind of going back to what you're talking about, this academia thing where they're like, they're super snobs like, oh, you just don't get Crowley. Oh, you just don't get the comedy that we like. Or you don't fit into that. It becomes, I mean, like when I say it all the time, when Malcolm X and the Unabomber say you got to watch out for the super rich liberal kids, that, that I think you're on to something. Now, again, I don't judge any, like, everybody gets a individual, outside of male feminists, everybody gets uh, <laughs> an opportunity to, you know, show that who they are. So I have no problems with that. I just want to go back real quick, and then I want to get into comedy with you. They are constantly out here trying to get you to give up your your uniqueness and your individualism, and it's all fear. And the truth of the matter is, man, I, I can't say this enough, and I say it every show, man. Nobody's coming to save you. You must save yourself. Stop looking for someone to give you the answers. Stop looking for someone to give you the medicine that's going to change you. Stop, stop trying to find somebody to tell you how to work out and how to raise your kids and all. You have everything inside you. You know, when I have my kids, me and my, my girl, we're like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? Guess what? We just did it. We just do it. You just got to do it yourself, man. Everything is about fear and gloom. And guess what? Nobody, and I mean nobody, can control you. They can't. You are your own God. You have to understand that. You're very special, and you need to control. Nobody can control you. And that's, you know, my big push right now to do shrooms with black people, even though I'm joking right now, but it really is about getting these people, getting people to unplug from the system and understand how special they are, and stop worrying about things that happened in the past. Stop thinking this group of people are out to get them. And just understand you 
control you. We could talk about, and this is Sam speaking, not Alex speaking. We could talk about percentage of people in jail versus percentage of the population. But what we never talk about is why is there a large group of people that aren't in prison? And what are they doing to not get into prison? Why don't we ever promote that? And it goes back to what you're talking about with the what. West Memphis three. Why are we talking satanic panic? And we're not talking about what happened in the car. What happened? In, what happened in the interrogation room? Because that doesn't fit into the narrative. And the narrative is doom and gloom, institutional racism. Am I saying there's not institutional racism? No, but if you don't feed into it, it's not going to affect you. Now, Sam's a white guy. He lives in America. He doesn't understand it. I'm telling you, brother, if you guys, Walk free and be your own man, your own woman. Dude, you can get, a, you can get out of the matrix, man. Stop hey, watching How about just from a practical standpoint, let's put Sam uh, up on the top of the pyramid, but give him the responsibility of controlling this mess. I think after a little while, you might be doing some of those same things. You might be playing some of those same games. You know, whether you're left or right, you look at the extremes and you go, I don't want that son of a bitch voting. I don't want, you know, if you're left, you look somebody on the right, you go, I don't want him on that vo- in the voting booth. And if you're on the right and you look at that and of a crazy, you know, you no, I, I don't want that. them in the voting booth. And you wind up with kind of like what you're saying with religion. I mean, if you're looking for that thing to save you, you got to appreciate on some level, you'd probably wind up rigging the game somewhat similarly to control the whole thing and that's part of the package i get that what i'm trying to say is like like you know everybody's crying about censorship on facebook hey guess what facebook can only censor you if you're on facebook if you're not on facebook they can't censor you so and if you're not you know, it's all about paying attention. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're paying attention to it, you're putting your energy into it. If you yep. pull out of this, okay? I mean, like, dude, I've been pulled over by the cops 18 times in, in L.A. I ask anybody, have you been pulled over more? No. What's the difference? Am I an asshole or am I a bad driver? Some might say, yeah, Johnny believes that. But, you know, it's like. You know, it's like everybody, listen, man, nobody rides for free. That's my opinion. Can it be worse? Can it be better? Sure, man. But the point is, man, stop paying attention to it. Stop putting your energy into it. That's all I'm trying to say. Totally. Totally. No. You know, and that's it. And it's like, you know, so we're getting into comedy. We have this whole thing right now with political correctness. A sad day today. The oldest comedy club in 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 the country looks like it's closing which is Dangerfields in New York. Really I mean, sad. The, the, you know, do you think it, it, it makes it through? I mean, one of the, you know, one of the, the, the memes that I think is, uh, is, is kind of, I highly suspect is socially engineered whenever I hear it, is the new normal. Because they came without, with that within the first few weeks. They're like, new normal, new normal. Like, how the hell do you know this is the new normal? And now we're all like, wow, what's the new normal? What's the new normal with comedy, man? I you mean, know, so in the Travis Stock Institute was like, hey, 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 new normal. <laughs> exactly right. New normal. Everyone's like, boom, I'm going to get my bonus at the Travis Stock Institute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, totally, totally cool. Well, see, I'm going to get my bonus. That's awesome, yeah. right? So, 
What is going on right now in comedy is a war, dude. There is a war going on. And it is a war between what we've been talking about, the intellectual snobs versus the free thinkers. And it's happening right now in front of our eyes. New York City is really great. We have, uh, you know, compound media. We have the, you know, uh, Gas Digital putting out the raw comedy that a lot of people love. And you see this big pushback from the alt scene. And, you know, long time ago I said this, but now it seems to be everywhere. I'm not saying I I, I created it, but uh, I think, it's probably out there. It's one of those things when you think something, suddenly you notice everybody's saying it. It's this weird thing. But go woke, you know, go woke, stay broke, or you know, be woke, go broke. And um, you see that in comedy happening right now. And you got a bunch of woke comics trying to silence some free thinkers. And it is a war, man. It is a war. And they've they're try- they'll they'll come after you. Uh, they'll they'll have the tech companies censor you. They'll put pressure on your sponsors. But I, what people are starting to learn is like the fans of these comics that are being attacked are ride or die. If I was a sponsor and I saw the way Joey Diaz's fans just circled the wagons around him and was like, not today, not today, you know, I would be like, that's the show. I want a sponsor because those people love him, dude. And they're going to show up. Uh, and it's just happening right now. I mean, if you watch Bill Burr's uh, uh, monologue on Saturday Night Live. Right. You know. How did he slip? How did he slip through, man? Right. <laughs> because he got, you know, he got undeniable. That's really where you got to get to. You just got to get. To where you're undeniable. That's what happened with Rogan, right? Same thing. Yeah, so Spotify. That they can't they can't cancel him because he's just you can't. I rather well, fire. Well, yeah, I rather I mean, fire we've talked, people than him. Yeah, I mean we've talked. They tried to kneecap that dude. He's just he's something like they've never seen before. Did, the did big, you hear about the the meeting? You, you you can almost visualize it, you know, with those uh, Europeans, you know, sitting around the table, everyone like, we're gonna we're gonna quit if you don't, you know, Joe Rogan. And he's like, oh, whoa, 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 take your foot off the gas there. You know what bit. I would have been like? I would have been Lucy Liu in, in uh, Kill Bill, where I would have jumped on the table, walked over to that person, pulled out my knife, cut the head off, and go, if any of you motherfuckers ever bring up that we're going to get rid of Joe Rogan, I'll cut your fucking head off. I would have been Jeremy Piven in Entourage with a fucking paint gun, be like, we want fired. Boom, you're fired. Boom, you're fired. Boom, you're fired. And it's just like, it's my theory that, and I, I say this all the time, and people are probably hearing it, women make the rules of society, men make the rules of business. And what this is, this political correctness is trying to take the rules of society into business and what these employees don't understand. And I am a pro-employee guy. I hate when businesses fuck employees over. I don't like it. But in this instance, the, the employees who are making a very good wage at Spotify are trying to affect business. And that's gone too far. Your personal feelings don't matter. It's, a, it's the most popular show ever. It's not preaching hate. It's asking questions. You need to shut up. You don't like the show? Don't listen to it. It's very simple. Those guys need to go. They've affected stock 
prices based on the rumblings going on in that business. You are affecting our business right now. If you don't like it, go over to the other place, man. Stitcher's hiring, okay? Go have a great time at Stitcher. But you talked about low-ass fans. You know how many people Joey Diaz got given him a dollar? 13,000 people. Andrew Schultz is making $80,000. How much do you think Rogan would make if he opened a Patreon? All of it. Uh, Exactly. So at the end of the day, I mean, if they get rid of him, he know, I mean, he could always end up doing that. They're not going to get rid of him. You have the Johnny Car. I would tell you even more powerful than Johnny Carson. You have the Johnny Carson of modern day exclusively on your channel. Why would you get rid of him? You can replace employees. There's one Joe Rogan. I agree. He's, he's deep in, you know, in, in, in our psyche, you know, and it's like, we, you, you got to hats off to him. You, you just have to, like, I, I, he drives me nuts so much of the time <laughs> because like, like he's so his nine eleven thing. Come on. It's nine. It's just, why are we like, you know, it's like real, man. They did that thing. It's an inside freaking job. Come on. Yeah. Joe. Here's my opinion on that. We have seen in real time what happens when Joe Rogan goes off the official narrative, which is the universe loses its skull and the internet melts down. So he has to pick these particular things that he's willing to go in on. Because if he goes tinfoil hat on everything every morning he wakes up his fucking phone is just going to be on fire from all the texts and all the emails and all the tweets of people losing their skulls so why are you doing why are you doing why are you doing tinfoil hat like this no because i I mean that seriously because i like well well hold it you know you you got to give a fuck because you got to get paid i don't got to get paid yeah but you got to get paid yeah yeah you know, is that, how do you do that, man? I mean, that's a, what I, here's my whole thing. I I can't, dude, I tell you this with all sincere honesty and truth. I would never want to be in the position Rogan is because every word, every word is analyzed by a thousand people looking to take you down. Uh, You know, it's like, this show, I can interview anybody. I, I had an animal psychic on. A couple people got great. angry. But, it's you important. know, I had a great time talking about it. It depends on what you – the show started because I just wanted to figure out – I loved conspiracies. And I, it dawned on me, like, oh, why aren't I talking about that? I didn't even know there were conspiracy podcasts out there. I just said – I just want to do it. You know, my best friend was Eddie Bravo. You know, him and I have been talking all the time. I was more into geopolitics at the time, discussing why they wanted to take out Syria. And it was because they want a pipeline from Qatar to the Baltic Sea. And that's what it's really about. And so I started getting it. And now here we are where, you know, we're discussing the West Memphis Three. And I, and I love it. So it's a combination of like, I do three shows a week. Why do I do three shows a week? Because there, it's honestly like just every day I get a new audio book and I get to listen to people like you and these other people come on and I do the old school, which is even older than books way of gaining knowledge, which is storytelling. So it's like, I really love it. And on top of that, 
I can, you know, sell some ads so I can pay for my children, you know, to live in a nice place and take care of them. And obviously, to the, my best of my abilities, take care of the boys because that's that's another ga- goal of mine is to make this so this is the only thing they're, that they're doing. And that's it, man. It, itch, it scratches all my itches. But, like, getting too big, like – Man, when that whole thing with Joey Diaz, Chris Lee, and Brian Callen gone down, man, I was never more thankful that Joe didn't have me on the show for seven years. <laughs> I was like, thank God, dude, because I got a bullseye the size of this, and they could have gone crazy. But it's like I have just enough so, you know, I could sell 100 tickets anywhere I go, and that's all I've ever really wanted, man. And I like shooting my own stuff, and I, I like – having my friends on the show and, and talking to people like you that I would normally never even met. And it's like, and listening to you and uh, how well-spoken you are, man, these are like the blessings for me. So that's why I started to show uh, I, And to be honest with you, man, Joe Rogan show started. I was on like a couple of the first episodes. It was like him talking to his friends in his side room at his house. And it was like talking comedy. And then, you know, in my personal opinion, what blew that show up was that he was the, you know, the John Madden of the UFC. Like he was the guy that added color to this sport that we've never seen before. He's fantastic. And then this he new- is fantastic. You know, you got to get hats off to him for that. Yeah. You know, I always, you know, I said in front of him and Dana, why I go do the reason you're so good is you understand theater and you understand the theater and, and how to be in the moment. And they both looked at me like I was like an idiot, but I go, I stand by what I'm saying. Like that guy understands theater. There's a million guys out there that could say the craziest stuff. And there's a million guys who know the, the, the all the details of everything, but no one can combine them the yeah. way Joe Rogan does. And then taking that. So you had like a million buys, right? I'm, I'm one of the early, the early pay-per-views, all those people, when they found out he had a podcast, they all went there and it just started growing and growing and growing. And it was just a perfect storm. Just like I think Ronda Rousey was perfect storm. This moment happened. They wanted to have a female champion and she was just dominant enough at that moment to blow it up. If Ronda Rousey comes today, that doesn't happen again. It's the perfect moment. And that's why I think Joe, Joe Rogan would always be a big podcast. Would it be this big? I don't know, but it, it would be big because of he's got a black belt in talking. But it's like it's perfect storm of stuff. So that's kind of what I like to do. I mean, like my whole theory on it. And, the, you know, what I brought to the conspiracy world is I brought working together. That's my biggest thing I brought to all these other podcasts because they were a lot like comics were early in the, like the 90s, which was a more of a boxing mentality where it's like there was only one opportunity to get in, you know, to get the leading role, to get the, you know, the hosting gig, to, you know, get the special. Now it's like, we don't need any of that shit and we can all work together. And like, I think that's the one thing that I got a bunch of like, you, just, you, you started that swap casting way, way, way before anyone else did. You know, and that Doug was, Stano was nice was enough genius, to do my show. Genius, yeah. It was genius to do because you're right. I mean, everyone was kind of sitting on the sidelines like, you know, you can't have my, <laughs> you can't have my subscribers. I ain't have yours. And I, I, I think that, you know, because the other thing I think that is in that is that, and I, I just meant this so sincerely, like at the beginning, like I'm taking notes, guys, you know, and, and like, you guys are saying stuff and like back one more thing on the, I'm still blown away by the Crowley thing when you guys say, Oh yeah. And did you know Rudolph Hess is on a plane? This is Mark 
hats off to Mark. He's, he's on a plane and he has his cape on with sigils and he's ready to do battle with Elsa. I'm like, boom, mind blown. I never heard that before. But that's this, this spirit of just like, hey, we all have learned a couple of little things and we're really trying to figure it out. We're not holding on to them. We're like, hey, do you know about this? How does that fit into your thing? That's awesome. That's the only way we can do it. Yeah, it's it's just a puzzle, dude. And like every day it changes. I'm not afraid to be wrong. I think that's a big thing. Absolutely. Like I come on, be like, dude, I was I I was completely wrong on that one. Right. And uh because I think I'd rather do right than be right. And I think that's a big problem in this country. People would rather be right than do right. Cause and, and sometimes to do right you have to admit you were wrong or you backed the wrong guy or you just got the, the situation wrong. And people, the egos are just too strong, man. Alex, man, I could talk to you forever, dude. I could talk to you forever. Uh, I don't know how this happened, but I'm super blessed that you did come on the show and talk to a couple like, uh, you know, a couple street guys like us. Um, you know, I love it. I must, you know, very rarely do I listen to podcasts because I just like to work free. I don't know why sports radio seems to be. A, but I think I'm going to check out your podcast, man, and give it a nice listen. Start from the beginning and just kind of, I don't know why, man. I'm like, why am I, I like, I'm really starting to get over sports, which is very hard because it's such a big part of my life. If I was a and Dodgers just, fan, I'd be getting over sports about now, too. <laughs> Dude. And Clippers. <laughs> and Clippers. But, I mean, it's just like – just the, all the, the just the inserting of politics and just you know you know it's like creating it so the bigger markets get into things for the ratings and not allowing like the actual competition to happen like just it kind of just has turned me off man like I don't know if that maybe that was happening in the 80s and the 90s and they they just kneecapped it so Boston would take on LA all the time but it just <laughs> didn't seem like it or they were way better at hiding it. And just now it's so blatant and it's just really turned me off because like, it's like the one place we could go to kind of get away from everything. And not, you know, I have a political podcast, but you know, it's like these athletes, they don't get it. It's like, imagine if you went to a restaurant and every time your waiter came up, she had to tell you why Joe Biden is the best candidate. You'd be like, I don't want to go to that fucking restaurant all the time. And it's like, and there was a time where nobody was getting political and people like Jim Brown and, and Bill Russell and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we were like, we have to have a conversation about this. That was, you, but- you know, just real, real quick, you know, in our family, my wife's uh, a brilliant woman and, and she's awesome and she's a, a forensic psychologist, but she's from Alabama and she's a big Auburn fan. And that was a thing we used to do all the time is, you know, watch SEC football, you know, just on Saturday and we record all the shows and watch them all week. And just, I can't do it anymore. And she's really bummed. I'm like, I just, it's taken all the pleasure. I just, I don't, I don't watch any of them anymore. They've, they've sucked it out of that. I don't know if that was the plan or not, but I'm with you on that. It's just when, when ESPN destroyed the big East basketball, that was the end of like, college sports where you could have somebody like Villanova or your BYU show up out of nowhere and win the national championship because that's what sports was. It was like my my boys versus your boys and doesn't matter what the name on the jersey is, the best wins. And then ESPN started like just to, to trying to get the big five. You remember that? Oh, we got to add the big oh, well, five. Uh, how, about, how about we put it down in uh, Orlando and put Pexiglass all over? I mean, I can't look at it. <laughs> 
I yeah. can't look at it, man. It's just, and it's just like, you know, you're like telling me about how bad institutional racism here. And then you're just like, don't question the Chinese government. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? At what point it's like, how much money do you need before you start going, hey, man, people are being treated very poorly over there. And they would like that over here. And I think we got to say no today. Alex, uh, thank you so much for coming on. One more time, tell us about your podcast and where they can find it. Skeptico, man, with a K. It's been super great. It's been just just great, great, great. Love it. Appreciate it very much. Alex, man, I would love to have a powwow with you down the line again. Anytime. You're one of the more enjoyable people that we've had. to talk. Everybody comes on. been a lot of fun. But for some reason... I really enjoyed having a conversation with you today, and I hope we can do it again soon, okay? We'll do it again. You get down here to San Diego, you let me know, man. Dude, I I mean, dude, I just wish, like, Texas or Nevada would annex San San Diego so it's not part (laughs) of California. I want to move down there so bad. You, Greg Carwood, are the smart ones. Like, San Diego's where it's at. Where it's at. And you also dude. don't want to get too cheap, right? Because then everybody no. would move there. It's like, it's expensive for a reason. I uh, appreciate you, Alex. We'll do it again soon. Guys, thank Great. you so much for tuning Thanks, in. Guys. Swarm, I love you. We'll John. do it again appreciate soon. It. Take care, everybody. Okay. We go deep, homeboy. open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. You just blew my mind.